Now we're going to uh, have our Bible reading this morning, and it's from Exodus. We're going to start into a series on the Old Testament in Exodus, looking at the Ten Commandments, and Elish is going to read that for us. I don't have one of the pew Bibles here. Maybe Elish will give us a page number just as you, you do that reading. Thanks. <laughs> Page 77. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. And keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Lovely. Well, we're going to start this morning a little series that, uh, all being well, will pretty much run up to Christmas as we look at the Ten Commandments. We've, we've looked at the Ten Commandments before as a congregation. Would you believe it's nearly 10 years ago? And the congregation has changed significantly in that time. And of course, these are really basic truths that we need to be really familiar with. But before we jump into them individually, which we will do over the mornings ahead, all being well, we need to ask a a really, really important question, and that is sort of, what are they for? What's their purpose? What is the purpose of the law of God? Sometimes we call the Ten Commandments the moral law of God. And that's a question that's really, really important. So this morning, we're going to sort of think our way through that. We're not working our way through a passage as such. That always leaves me feeling a little bit nervous, but uh, hopefully we'll find this really helpful. It's a really important question. What are the Ten Commandments for? Because uh, people take all sorts of different views. Some people, for example, treat the Ten Commandments like a ladder. They are a way for us to climb towards God. 
they, they think if, if, uh, if I try to do the things that God seems to like as he sets out these commandments, then God will accept me. And uh, that's behind the sort of language you hear sometimes when people say, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can or, or, or I think I'm a reasonably good person. And it's a really common way of thinking, quite an old way of thinking. For example, Jesus came across it. Remember, we looked not all that long ago at the story of the rich young ruler, and he came to, he came to Jesus asking a really, really important question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus, they, they talked about the law. He mentioned a number of commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and so on. So he, was, he was looking at those second half of the Ten Commandments. And, and the, the rich young ruler said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. You see, the, the, this, this sense that he had, that, that that was the way to gain God's acceptance. I am trying really hard with these commandments. And yet, there was something wrong because he had to come to Jesus and ask, well, how can I be accepted by God? How can I know eternal life? So some people treat it like a ladder. Some people go the other way altogether, and they say, well, you know, the law was really an Old Testament thing, and I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm saved by grace. The law's got nothing to do with me now. And that sort of sounds really spiritual. And yet we know that we have some ways that we ought to live. Jesus directs us in that way. So, so how, how does the law function for us? Both of those approaches are actually wrong. We're going to see that. And, and so we need to really wrestle with what the law is. So uh, here, here's why it's not a good idea to go through a passage. I've got six points this morning, okay? Uh, so three introductory comments and then three purposes of the law. So, so three very introductory comments. First of all, we know that the law, that, that commandments... Are, are very countercultural in our day and age. The idea of a God who commands is just something that runs against the grain of society's thinking. Uh, that, that wouldn't have been an issue uh, many years ago. Maybe even when some of us were growing up, it was widely accepted that we were creatures, that God was a creator, and that we were somehow accountable to him, that he, he had things that, that, that he wanted us to do and ways that he wanted us to live. And, and even if we didn't do those things, we, we knew that there was a, some sense of ought within our hearts and our lives. But now we live at a time when many people believe there's no God, and they may believe that there's some sort of God in theory, but the sort of God that they believe in makes no demands and issues no commands. He's like a sort of a cosmic cheerleader who comes alongside us and pats us on the back and says, go you, you're great. But, but while people reject the idea of a God who commands, the reality is everybody lives by commands. We might think that they're sort of socially constructed, they're accepted ways of how society should be. Recently, a couple of high-profile atheists in the States, they they did a great survey to come up with 10 non-commandments for our age. And uh, they were assessed by a panel of judges, and then these 10 non-commandments were put forward. And and they were the sort of 10 commandments that, that would be acceptable in our day and age. So things like this. Be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. 
Strive to understand what's most likely to be true, not to believe what you wish to be true. The scientific method is the most reliable way of understanding the natural world. Every person has the right to the control of their own body. That's very contemporary, of course. Leave the world a better place than you find it. Pick up your letter. Uh, Those are the sorts of generally accepted non-commandments of our age. But, But also, one of them was this, there is no right way to live. Now, everybody thinks that today, and yet it makes a nonsense of giving commands. Here's how you should live, but actually there's no real right way to live. And over against that common view that's all around us, that's sort of the soup that we grew up in, over against that common view, God says, God speaks and says, here is how you, as my creatures, are to live in all places, at all times. It's really countercultural. That's the first little comment. Second comment is that these commandments are not just pulled out of the air. They're not plucked out of the air. They're, they're not arbitrary. They are an expression of what God is like. That's easier to see with some of them than others, but the, the moral law has always been understood as an expression of God's character. So because God, for example, is true, he says to us, Do not bear false witness. Don't lie. Because you're going to be my image bearers. You've got to be like me in this. Because God is utterly faithful to his promises, he says, do not commit adultery. Because God is ultimate, there's no one above him, he says, have no other gods before me. So they're expressions of what is true or or what God is like. And then the third thing, just to say, by way of introduction, is something about their importance. Because some people think that, well, there's lots of laws in the Bible. Why are these 10 sort of picked out as being more important than the others? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is to acknowledge that there are lots and lots of commands in the Bible. 613 was the, the, the traditional way of understanding how many commands were given to God's people in the first five books of the Bible, called the law, the Torah sometimes. But what we find is that of those commands, they're either expressions of the Ten Commandments or, or sort of the Ten Commandments are, are foundations for them. And this is reflected in how the Ten Commandments were given. You remember, God met Moses on Mount Sinai. People had been delivered out of Egypt, and they were given the commandments on tablets of stone. No other laws were given like that. And later on, God's people kept those tablets with the Ten Commandments on them in the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of the presence of God. They had that right at the heart of their tabernacle, their temple. It's also how God, uh, Jesus treats them as well. When he was asked what the most important commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Now, what Jesus was doing there, of course, was summing up the 10 commandments, loving God with all our hearts, loving our neighbors ourselves. And the church has recognized that down through history as well. The Ten Commandments have been at the heart of how the church has taught people what it means to follow Jesus. So if you think of the the sorts of things that traditionally the church has taught either new believers or children, there are three great foundation stones 
in that teaching program. One is the Apostles' Creed, what you believe. One is the Ten Commandments, how you should live. And one is the Lord's Prayer, how you should encounter God, how you should engage in Christian experience. So the Ten Commandments have been right at the very heart of, of how the church has taught people what it means to be a Christian. So, for example, in the 107 questions of our shorter catechism, 42 of them are to do with the Ten Commandments. They're really fundamental, and yet I wonder how many of us could recite them. Do we know, for example, what number six is? Or number three? <laughs> Many of our forefathers would have known the answer to that instantly, and, and yet maybe we don't so well. They are really, really important. Well, what, let's go to the why. What, what are they for? What, what's the purpose of the commandments? Well, three things. Calvin particularly drew together these three purposes of the law that have been very well uh, uh, sort of dominated the Reformed churches, three three purposes, and, and they maybe have three pictures, first of all. Uh, so first of all, they are a mirror. This is what we were saying with the children. They are a mirror to convict us of sin and lead us to Christ. That's the first thing, and, and really, really important. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So, so we, we, we talk about this like a mirror because it helps us see ourselves as we are, just as we're saying to the boys and girls. We, we put mirrors in our halls so that we would check ourselves before we go out and get the broccoli out of our teeth. Uh, the mirror is there to, to help correct your image of yourself. You think you're fine, and then you realize you're not. And the commandments of God do that as well. We think we're, we're doing quite well as people without Christ and then we begin to measure ourselves against the standards of God. And we think, oh, he tells me not to, uh, to, to lie. And you think about all the little white lies that you, you use to get through your day with people, that people might think well of you. And you, you, you hear that God says, have no other gods before me. And, and you think of all the, the foundations that are in your life that are not God, that give you meaning and purpose and so on. And you see, if, if, you, if you're beginning to, to try to think of using the law as a ladder to climb up to God and you begin to look at the law, then you realize that the, the commandments put the rungs, as it were, too far apart on the ladder for you to be able to climb. So, so the, the commandments are not, therefore, a ladder to climb, but they are a hammer to crush us kindly, to crush us, to crush our pride. We should begin to, to feel that, that we cannot make any progress up this ladder by ourselves, and therefore we are not good enough in and of ourselves. But, but it's not just that. So we, let me give you a verse just to explain that. Romans 3.20 says, Through, uh, uh, no one will be uh, declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. It's not a ladder to climb on, a hammer to crush our self-righteousness. But actually, that's not all it does because that would lead us with no hope. It's as we see the solution doesn't lie in ourselves that we are pointed to Jesus. So Galatians 3 and 24, a very important verse says, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
He was a schoolmaster, some of the translations say, schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So, so, so if some of us are here today and we're, we're, we're not yet Christians, we may be wrestling with all of this and we're, we're sort of thinking, well, you know, I, I hope that God will accept me. That's a very common place to, to begin from. I, I hope that God will accept me. I'm doing okay. I'm better than some of those around me. Well, look closely at the commandments. Think even of, of, of the way that Jesus summarizes them. Loving your neighbor as yourself. How do we measure against that? Well, we, we know that we don't, we don't do that very well. Uh, loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Well, again, we, we know that we don't do that very well either. So, so we, we come to realize that as we pin our hopes on our own performance, we, we have no hope. So there must be something else. And we, what the Bible would tell us to do, as it were, is to, to look up from ourselves in our despair and see that Jesus is there, arms outstretched to us, outstretched to you. So the commandments are there to, to lead us to Christ. And we say to him, look, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, but I'm coming to you for mercy. Augustine said this. This is a, a tricky quote. I'm going to read it twice uh, so we, we get it. The, the law bids us, Augustine said, the law bids us, as we try to fulfill its requirements and become wearied in our weakness under it, the law bids us to know how to ask for the help of grace. So you see, as we, as we weary in our struggle of trying to obey the law, we are pointed to ask for grace. The law bids us, as we try to fulfill its requirements and become wearied in our weakness under it, to know how to help, to know how to ask for the help of grace. So the law is a mirror, the commandments are a mirror to show us our sin and to lead us to Christ. Second use of the law, second purpose, second purpose of the commandments is to restrain evil, a sort of a sign to warn us to restrain evil. Now, we'll not spend too long on this, but let's mention it. The commandments speak to mankind in general, all people in general, and say to us, you are accountable to God. And this is how the God to whom we are accountable wants us to conduct ourselves. And so it, it reminds us of his standards, and in that way, it restrains evil. God's design is that that would be backed by societal structures and government, which ideally should uh, have one of its functions as the punishment of the evildoer, the Bible says. And so people end up not obeying God's, or obeying God's commands because they fear the consequences from government of not doing that. So, so they act like a warning sign of danger ahead. Go this way and you'll suffer the consequences. Now, as we've seen from Revelation recently, governments are, are, don't function in that way always. Uh, sometimes governments end up being uh, the, the, the uh, the mechanism through, through which God's people are oppressed rather than evil is restrained. God's governments will be held accountable for that. But, but these commandments also don't change the heart in that way. Calvin points that out. He says they, they obey, people obey the commands outwardly, but in a begrudging way. Indeed, in our hearts, we might want to break them, but we're restrained from doing so because of the possible penalties that might result. So, so that's the second way 
that the commandments function. They restrain evil in society. They're a gift to us in that way. And then the third thing is, the commandments are a map to reveal God's will for his children. You know, as Christians, we're told that we should find out what pleases the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Well, how do we know? How do we know what pleases the Lord? Well, the commandments tell us. So, So while we're free from the law, free from the commandments as a way of salvation, we're under the law, under Christ's law, as a rule of life. We, we, we had, remember, some uh, Hungarian visitors with us uh, last week. And they came to us for lunch after the service yesterday, uh, last Sunday morning. And they came into the house and they said, should we take off our shoes? And, and uh, that was very kind of them. But, but because in their culture, if you went into somebody's house, uh, you, you took off your shoes. I would never have thought uh, to ask that. Uh, and they were coming into our home and they wanted to know what the, sort of the, the family rules were. And you see, if we're Christians, we've been brought into the house of God, the household of God, and we should say to him, as it were, now that I'm in your household, now that I'm in your family, tell me what your rules are. Tell me how things work here. How how do I please you? And the commandments make that clear. So that's what Jesus was talking about as he gave the great commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's also how we show our love to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And he told us that not one part of the law would disappear. So we're under Christ's law as a rule of life. So there we are, three uses of the Ten Commandments. We're going to pick those up as we, as we go through this series all being well. We're going to see that, that as if we're, if we're not yet Christians, that the law crushes us and says, you really need a Savior. We're going to see how they speak unto our society and, and restrain evil we trust. And we're going to see then how they provide a map for us to know as believers how we should please the Lord. Many years ago, I found an illustration, I heard an illustration that, that I found very helpful with all of this. It describes the law as a policeman. With this, we close. How does a person feel whenever they see a policeman? Well, it sort of depends what you've been doing, doesn't it? You see, if we are criminals, okay, if we're criminals, you see a policeman and you feel, hopefully, you feel your, your guilt, your shame. You don't want to see the policeman. We know that we're in the wrong. And the commandments, you see, function like that for us before we come to Christ. They are like a, a prosecuting policeman who, who will come and, and bring the weight of the law to bear upon us and, and show us that we are in the wrong. They will apprehend us. But when we come to Christ, the policeman, maybe that same policeman who we once feared becomes the friendly Bobby who is our help and our guide, who we can ask for directions or, or whatever it might be. You see, he has not changed, the law has not changed, but, but our relationship to him has. So we're going to start all being well 
our journey through these commandments next week. I wonder how we stand in relation to them this morning. As we heard them read, are, are, are we condemned because they remind us of our sin? Do, do, they, do they show us that, that this project that some of us perhaps are involved in, in, in trying to get right with God by our own efforts, really is futile. The, the, the standards are just too unobtainable for us. Do, do they show us that we need a Savior? If they do, if you feel that today, can I really encourage you to come to Him? To say, as we, as we often say, nothing in my hand I bring. I'm not coming, Lord, saying, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And you see, when we do that, then these same commandments will find their right place in your life as they become this guide to help you to know how to please your Savior day by day. Let's pray together. Help us, O Lord, to to know your mind. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We're, We're not guessing what your standards are or what pleases you, for you have said what you, what you love and what you desire for us. Lord, help us to know the crushing effects of your law that might throw us to Jesus and help us to know the guiding effects of your law as we walk in his ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.